Welcome to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And today we'd like to discuss the topic of visualization and imagery and how this relates to tennis. Um, we'll talk about a few different aspects, including how we can utilize visualization and imagery in the preparation leading up to uh, matches as well as training, um, how uh, visualization and imagery can be used um, during training, and then lastly, how this can be utilized in matches uh, during competition. So to start, we'll talk about preparation and really how this can be utilized off court. Um, and Brian and I were talking a little bit off air, and uh, I was saying that the way that I generally start is by um, talking about, you know, expl- briefly explaining um, visualization and how, you know, the, the science really shows us that if if we go through the visualization process, our brain, you know, really doesn't know the difference. And it's as if we've already been through it before. And I I generally start with athletes by having them develop a script um, of how they want, you know, how they want the event to turn out in terms of how they're going to play, how they're going to be feeling, what the environment is likely to look like, um, as well as uh, certain situations that they might encounter um, during a match, whether positive, or negative, and how they would like to respond to that moment. Um, so that's generally how I would, I would break it down and have them actually write down um, a script that they can, um, you know, utilize, maybe even record, and then, um, you know, listen to that maybe before a match, maybe on the bus or, you know, the night before. Um, so that, that, that's generally where I, I begin in terms of the, um, in terms of the preparation piece. Um, Brian, what about what about you? What what are your thoughts as it relates to preparation and uh, how we can utilize this this mental skill um, and, and preparing for competition? I think the script thing, Josh, is is good, and um, there probably is even some more guidance we could give people as like they want to dr- design a script. I think um, we want to make sure that we're including you know some real detail about like the setting mm-hmm. that we're in, so that might be. You trying to describe, say, the club or the facility that you're going to play at, um, bringing yep. those details in so we can make sure that we're seeing it in color, seeing it in, in three dimensions. I think that that's important. Sometimes when we visualize where some people are almost as if they're watching things on a, on a flat screen TV, the more that we can make it, you know, that three dimensional piece is, is good and, and having the setting there. I think we should also, you know, to, to help people understand how to almost trick the brain into, you know, not being able to distinguish this is making sure that it's a multi-sensory experience. Um, yes, we often use visualization as the term um, when we're talking about it in tennis, but the more academic term is usually imagery because it incorporates more than seeing. And I think a good way to help people practice this is... Um, is to get them to do something like hold a tennis ball and feel it in your hands, look at it, notice all the details of it, um, and maybe even begin to rotate it. And then as you're doing these things, close your eyes. And can you feel it in your brain? Can you see the ball in your mind? Uh, Maybe even see the name of the brand. Is it Wilson or is it Penn? Something like that. Um, and then as you close your eyes, maybe bring the ball to your nose and smell it. Can you smell the ball? Um, can you bounce it? Can you hear the bounce? 
So these are all different senses that I think are important that we try to incorporate. I think especially the hearing. When I've worked with with players, Josh, the hearing piece seems to be the weakest skill that players that players have. Um, so we want to have that multi sensory experience along with making sure we've got like the kinesthetic sense. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that as we teach the sort of like work with it and during on practice, right? And um, maybe teaching the serve and using it there. Um, that's an important piece. And I think the other thing we really want to include in that script are the mental and emotional states that yep. the player wants to feel. Because you mentioned, yeah, there are going to be some positive things, but we also want to make sure that we know how to handle, say, being down break point. So what are the mental and emotional states you want to bring to that? Or what are the mental and emotional states you want to bring to closing out a set, closing out a match? That way, when you get in those situations, not only do you feel like you've done it before, but you'll have the more productive emotions at your disposal to do it. Um, so I think the script is good. And, and I, I like the idea of having athletes record it. Although there have been times where I've taken the script and I've done the recording for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it really depends on what, what the player wants. I'm always happy to, to do that. Now, the scripts that I've used, Josh, I've typically, with most players, we've done what I guess you'd call a mastery script, where you see them having success. Um, but there are other types of scripts where, or maybe it's like there, there's no real, let's say, adversity. It's all sort of sure. like the way you want it. Um, but I guess the other script is like a rehearsal script, right? Where you're actually rehearsing for you know, some of the, some of the things that, that could happen, the negative things. And I know you were mentioning earlier uh, to me, you know, about Djokovic. What, what are, you know, when you were looking at imagery in Djokovic, what were some of the things that you found out about him and how he uses it? Yeah, it seems, seems like he's really used it for a long time. He seems to tie it together with um, meditation and mindfulness and uh, really, I, I, which to me really um, is all about incorporating those senses as you talked about. Um, but I, I think, I think with him, it's a lot about uh, visualizing certain moments of a match. Maybe that's a break point. Maybe that's fighting off a match point as we've seen him do so many times before. Maybe it's um, executing, you know, the, the ideal serve return um, during in, in that big moment. Um, but yeah, he, he talks a lot about um, utilizing, utilizing, uh, this technique and really in relation to uh, meditation and mindfulness. And then the other, the other player, another top player on the, the women's side is Bianca Andreescu. Um, and uh, she has spoken very openly as well about utilizing visualization. I know um, she's talked about, you know, visualizing this moment of winning the U S open for many, many years from the time she was 15, even going as far as writing herself a winner's check um, years before actually collecting that check. So, um, no, I, I think that the two of them are great examples of people who have publicly spoken out about how u- utilizing this, this mental tool has led them to become champions at the highest level. Um, but, no, I, I, pl- plenty of other players, I, I think at all levels, are using it and ought, ought to be using it um, in order to visualize, you know, how they want the situation to go and also some of these possibilities in terms of, you know, being down a break point or being down a match point, but being able to fight your way through it. Or another 
Another situation I often will talk about as it relates to emotional control, um, particularly with if a player, let's say, has had issues with throwing, throwing or breaking rackets or swearing or getting frustrated, um, outbursts, things like that, is imagining yourself losing a point and feeling some of those emotions associated with that, but being able to maintain your composure during that moment or maybe utilizing a deep breath or a routine that you've practiced in that moment and having a more positive response than that outburst. So um, visualizing and really going through the motions of that scenario, um, I, I can I find to be uh, very helpful as well. Yeah, I think it's almost as if, well, it's not almost as if, you are mentally rehearsing your response to certain yep. situations. And I think that that, builds then within the player a little bit more confidence when it comes up. It um, also helps them when it, when that does come up, gives them a sense of control of like, I know what to do in this situation. It's not a a question of, Oh, what should I do? I've actually mentally practiced for that situation. Um, And that, you know, you can, I think design your imagery or visualization, not only around say, reactions to adversity, but could also be more strategic or tactical. It could be something like, all right, when I get a ball, you know, inside the service line, I want to make sure that I'm attacking that ball or coming into net. And by mentally rehearsing that over and over again, then it's just an automatic response to that ball. It's not a moment of, oh, should I go in or not? It's we've practiced this in our head. Um, now I, I see that ball, I know what to do with it, I attack it, I move in, and I, and I close out the point, hopefully. So I, I think that that is also a, a, a usefulness piece of it. Um, I think, and there are some really good videos from USTA player development with respect to visualization. They're nice introductory videos. And, and one of the things that Dr. Larry Lauer talks about in there is having a, an imagery plan, a visualization plan. And I really like that. Um, and, and that's something I've worked on with players and typically break it down into different categories, um, specific skills. So you could actually have a player um, visualize their serve for several minutes, especially or, or something else where they may be working on some new technique. You know, whether forehand, backhand, serves, volleys, whatever, you could have them just sort of maybe repeating a drill that they do with their coach. And that way they get a lot of repetition on that, that particular skill. The next section of that plan that I like to, to use is sort of a, a strategy game plan situation. So I'm working with one player now. Uh, he's a young player, just developing his patterns. So he, he is trying to really improve his cross-court patterns as a part of how he plays. So that's part of what he visualizes is he sees himself you know, having success with these cross-court patterns and, and bringing about the emotions there. The next section of the plan would then be more kind of like the script. It would be more situational. And um, it could be closing out sets. It can be coming back from a breakdown. We'll often work on situations that perhaps the player has struggled with in the past to give them essentially more mental reps on handling that. So that, um, again, like we were saying earlier, they feel a little bit more comfortable 
when it comes up in a match. And I think, you know, the last one, there maybe there are a couple more, but the, one of the other ones I think is really important is that every player should develop their own personal video highlight reel or just personal highlight video. And that actually might even be a, a scripted thing, Josh, like where you could, you know, if we let's say I was working with you, I want you to think about, all right, tell me about some of your best performances. Can we pick out some of the best points from there as if we were putting together a highlight package for like an ESPN sports center. And we're going to do like a two to five minute of your career to date. And maybe we also associate some music with it. So it helps with the emotions. Um, You know, so if you've got some favorite songs or something inspirational those can be on in the background, perhaps while you're while you're doing this this video highlight. Um, so that one, you know, can be I think really good preparation for a tournament, getting you in the right frame of mind, like excited to compete, and um, you know, getting the right feeling. So I'm curious what you think about that. I think that's a great idea. That's certainly something I, I haven't used in the past, but I, I think it's an awesome idea. To me, it actually reminds me a little bit of our recent conversation with Dr. Walker, um, Dr. Stephen Walker, where we talked about utilizing a confidence journal yeah. and, you know, doing uh, as you do things right each day and, you know, training and matches, you write it down in the confidence journal and something to refer to before you get out there and train or compete. And to me, this is actually similar in that you're replaying those best moments, um, whether those are, you know, have happened recently or, you know, far in the past. But um, as you said, it makes you feel more comfortable and more confident once you actually get out there, because it's it's that reminder of all of these highlights and all of these positive experiences that you've had. So no, I, I love that idea. Yeah. And I would say, you know, for the off-court visualization that we're doing, uh, we've discussed this model in the past, and I think we talked about it with Steve Walker, this idea of the PETLEP model. Yep. So PETLEPs, the, the, the letters are P-E-T-T-L-E-P. So the first P is about it's we want it to be physical. We want to have sort of the, the same clothes on that we would wear when we play tennis. Um, having your racket nearby is helpful. So even if, you know, so even if you're doing this at home, um, you try to have that. But although I will say that the probably the best place to do your imagery is at your facility. You want to try to be in the environment as much as possible. But if you can't. You know, then you're just going to make sure you you can imagine that. So that sort of P and E is you know physical, then the environment. The first T is that you know the task you're going to image, right? So if we're talking about the serve, you know that's what we're going to focus on. The next T is about timing. So the timing of your imagery should be consistent with how it happens in the real world. So if you are, let's say, playing a point and the point would normally take 10 seconds, your imagery should take the same. It shouldn't be fast, you know, sped up and so it's done in a minute or I'm sorry, a second. Um, so we want to make sure that that's there. Um, L is for learning. And this is really has to do more with over the course of time. We're going to learn more. So we want to be updating our imagery based on what we're learning. 
as players. And as we get better at imagery skills, because this is, as I said, like with some of the sensory stuff, not everybody's great at the auditory piece, so they may have to work on that more. Um, e, the next E is for emotion. We've talked about that. That's To me, that's one of the most important parts, is making sure you've got that mental and emotional piece. We don't want it to be like you're flat, no, no feelings whatsoever. And then the last P is for perspective. Um, and I think everybody has a different way of doing their imagery. Some people are more comfortable seeing it from the first person. So an internal perspective. Others might be more comfortable seeing it from the outside or what we call external or third person. Both are useful. Um, you know, when we start to talk about how we could do this during a training session, say with the serve, it might be better to do first person for certain aspects. Um, third person is often very good uh, for things like when we're trying to be more accurate with something. Right? So if you're trying to get better at hitting your targets deep in the court, you might use your th- might use third person where maybe you're up and above um, as if you were watching on TV, that type of thing. So that was what Pat Lep is for. And I only bring it up because I think it's a good checklist to make sure that uh, you're doing everything you can to make it more effective because – uh, while imagery sort of without it, what we would call, I guess, traditional imagery, can still be effective, the Petlet model has shown to be more effective with that. So I think it's just a good good guideline. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's very comprehensive in that it really hits each of those, you know, each of the, the, the different pieces. I um, re- really like that emotional piece that I think sometimes, as, as you said, gets neglected. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, maybe you're um, incorporating all the senses, you're hitting most of the other points, but it's just flat. There's no realistic feeling for how the player would actually be feeling um, during that moment. So I, I think that's certainly a big piece there. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's, um, you know, should, should definitely be a big takeaway for um, for our listeners, for, for people as you know, who, are, who are competing to try to incorporate all of these different aspects um, also, also task, I think having, you know, being very clear, having a very clear intention um, going into it is, is, is critical for, for its success. So yeah. uh, I, I think that's a great, great model for people to utilize. So let's maybe move now toward the court yep. and, you know, in a coaching situation. And Josh, you're obviously doing a lot more coaching on court than I am, Um how are you, are you, are you using this on the court? How are you using it? What, what are you noticing with your students? Yeah, I, I use it. I, I, I do use it at times. Um, I use it certainly on the serve um, where both in terms of the ball toss, um, you know, being the right way. Oftentimes I find players have a you know tough time with the ball toss, which leads to issues on the serve. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of, you know, if, before they even start visualizing themselves, tossing the ball the right way, um, visualizing the serve, you know, th- their body um, in, in terms of what they want that service motion to look like. Um, and that would more, more so be from that third person, even bird's eye perspective. Yeah. Um, so de- definitely on the server turn, sorry, on the serve is an area I use it a lot. Also on the server turn, um, having a very clear intention on um, where you want to go with that server turn and visualizing yourself going through that process beforehand. Um, I like to incorporate it into a player's routine or help that player incorporate it into the routine rather. Um, 
So, you know, again, we've talked about, you know, the 16 second cure and the very limited amount of time that tennis players have in between points, but literally just being able to have a clear intention for where they want that first shot to go and actually visualizing themselves hitting that serve return and having a clear idea and a clear image of um, themselves successfully completing that action, uh, both on the serve and on the serve return is is mainly where I utilize it, um, it, it on the court. Um, how, how about you? I know that, that uh, yeah, I, I know you utilize it in, in those areas and I think some, some other areas as well. Yeah. Well, I think if we talk about on the court, we can make a, a tie-in or back to uh, the inner game. So if we think about how, you know, uh, Tim Galway describes his teaching process, I think there's really three things going on that are, are important from a learning perspective, but also a performance perspective. So he would use very few words and he would demonstrate a skill. Yep. Um, and I think what we're talking about is the next piece, which he talks about, but I, I think he does not as maybe in depth as what we're talking about, is then the player visualizes themselves executing that skill and then physically trying it, right? So there's really like a three-step process there, which we would call action observation, which is where the coach is modeling it, or one could use a video as well. I could show you a video of the serve, maybe the serve I'm trying to teach you. Then it's that visualization piece that you mentioned, and then the physical practice piece. Um, And... I think, you know, when Galway talks about this, it's really trying to open up that natural learning. So like when we had Sean Brawley on, it was a lot about really creating more opportunity for natural learning to occur. And so I think at that three-step process and a lot of the latest research that's showing the effect of um, imagery or visualization is also including that action observation. So when they do studies on groups that just physically practice versus groups that do imagery plus physical practice plus groups that do action observation, which is normally a video, plus imagery, plus physical practice, that last group outperforms the other two. So even if you don't do the action observation, you'll do better to have just imagery and physical practice. And it'll, it will help your learning as well as your performance. But if you want to really improve to the next level, watch video of the things that you want to learn and get better at. Visualize yourself doing it and then physically practice doing it. Now, the cool thing about some of these studies, Josh, was that the groups that did like the, the three combo, they actually physically practiced less. That isn't other groups. Yet they learned more, they retained their learning better, and they performed better. So, yeah, we often say that these things are not a substitute for physical practice, but it might help you to manage your schedule better. And, you know, let's say even as a college coach, let's say you have a tired team. Perhaps we don't go out on the court for as long today. Maybe we spend some time doing some imagery or watching some some video type stuff. 
Um, so I think it's interesting to to go out onto the court and try that three-step process without saying as much. It's hard for us as coaches because we all have this. We have this what's called the writing reflex. We want to correct as much as possible. Um, but the more that we can let that, that uh, natural learning piece um, happen and just be models and, and have them visualize as much as they can, they'll probably get it faster. The key, I think, is making sure that the, the player is not judging themselves all along. Yeah, it reminds me of a lot of, a lot of our conversation with Sean, yeah. Sean Brawley, um, where he talked about this urge, I would say, of coaches to you know, correct um, where, you know, what, what he advocates for and what the inner game of tennis advocates for is sort of for students to, to learn that, learn it on their own, um, without too much interference and also without too much judgment. Um, and I, I think that action observation is really a, a big piece of it. I've actually saw a video and, um, we can link to this in the show notes of Tim Galway. And I believe this is actually on 60 minutes. Um, Tim Galway teaching a tennis lesson to a total beginner would never, never um, held a tennis racket before. And within a couple minutes, they were hitting balls over the net. And how did, how did that happen? Um, they through, it started with the observation of the instructor and the instructor's stroke and what, and what that looks like. Um, so I, I, I think, and, and you brought up the research, how, um, you know, that action observation piece is, is largely influential for the effectiveness um, of the process, even with slightly less um, actual physical practice. And uh, I, I think, I think what, what that really does is it gives um, athletes a clear, a clear intention, a clear picture of what the stroke is supposed to look like um, where if you're just practicing it, you could be practicing the wrong thing, you know, doing it and with the same old habit rather than, you know, with doing it in a, maybe a more technically correct way. Um, so I, I really like that piece. I, and another piece I would add to this is, um, closing your eyes on court and actually, um, doing, you know, swinging your racket, whether it's a, you know, a forehand, a backhand, a serve, but going through that process with your eyes closed, which can, um, you know, tie into this visualization piece and can also get, get a player more in touch with that kinesthetic sense. Um, where if they're, you know, trying to learn a new shot, maybe a, you know, a new way of uh, swinging on the forehand, a new swing path, um, actually closing your eyes a couple of times as you're taking that new swing can really help to get a player more um, comfortable and more familiar, I would say, with that with that um, novel swing, that, that new uh, path. So um, that, that's another piece I'd add in. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, uh, and, and you want to develop that kinesthetic sense and just shutting the eyes. Turns off that visual processing and, and you can feel it. Although at some point, and especially as we move into in matches, we might want to learn to visualize with our eyes open. Um, yep. Right. And, you know, maybe that's the next level of visualization is, is being able to, to do that. Um, so, you know, as we move it perhaps into competition, um, I think – I would say that there are a couple different purposes of why players should consider adding visualization to what they do on the court. Um, 
another the first one is again back to the inner game of tennis and it's a way to quiet the mind um you know we had Judy Van Ralt on to talk about self-talk self-talk obviously is important but when it's at its most effective it's short and sweet and it, it, it it's it's as minimal as possible and we all know that the brain, you know, we, we communicate better with images to the brain. And so the more that we can use images, the, the faster and the better the brain will learn. So I think one strategy or one purpose that we want to use visualization between is to quiet the mind. Uh, the next is similar to our off-court. It's a mental rehearsal, but it's much more what we're going to do on the, the next point or the next time a particular shot comes up. And you used this word earlier, Josh, and I think it's a really important word. Um, I think it enhances our intention. And when we're thinking about intention, it's not only how we want to play the point. You can actually bring it down to like targets. So maybe as we go through this piece, we can also tie back to Bill Tim's corrective methodology. Because if you look at his corrective methodology – the mistakes are are basically there are two mental things going on with the mistakes, a lack of focus, which is would be on the ball, and not a strong enough intention about your targets, whether that be over the net or within the lines. And by using visualization in between points, we can actually enhance our intention. So, um, those I think are the are like the big reasons why. We should. Is there anything else that jumps out as you to you, like why we should try to incorporate this into what we do on court? Um, I I really like the the, the points the points that you're making, especially um, in terms of that corrective methodology and talking about uh, Coach Bill Tim's work in that in that area. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, you know, let's say a player just double faulted. Um, being able to see themselves, and again, with the eyes open is preferable, especially in a, in a match setting, um, but being able to, to see yourself doing it correctly um, as you go to hit another serve in 10 seconds. Um, so I, I think that that's a huge piece there. I think also um, utilizing, you know, we talk about utilizing the time in between points, but also in be- utilizing the time in between games, yeah. um, utilizing our changeovers, utilizing um, maybe a set break, if you have a little bit of a longer amount of time there um, to, uh, you know, to get back into that mindset that you want to be in um, where maybe the last set didn't go your way or, you know, that, that last point in that game didn't, um, you, you know, you, you miss hit a shot or whatever it may be, but um, being able to really, you know, some, I see players at times putting the towel over their head, um, which I, I think is great. I think, uh, Eva Sviantek, um, you know, we, we, we saw her with her eyes closed um, a number of times during changeovers um, as, as she was winning the French. Um, so, uh, no, I, I, I think in addition to these moments in between points, these um, set breaks and changeovers are another, another great chance to, to uh, utilize that um, as, as it relates to actually um, in competition. I think your example of the double falls is perfect because talk about a time where we need to quiet the mind. Most players have a, a very negative reaction to that. There's almost always something, um, and, and it can be a moment, to, difficult moment to get over. And so, let's say you do double fault. The idea here is to 
not be judgmental about it because it happens. One could even say if you don't have any double faults in a match, you're not going for your second serve enough. On that side, but um, and so instead of talking yourself and judging it, you want to see the serve as you wish you want, you know, as it ought ought to have been. Yep. You want to see that perfect serve. And again, what what are you doing? You're communicating in a more effective way with your brain. So an image, you know, I think what's the saying, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. What you can see with that image in, say, two to five seconds would probably take you two to five minutes to fully describe in words. So you're actually communicating way more information to yourself, way more corrective information to yourself with that with that image. And it's been done in, say, two to five seconds. So you've quieted your mind by not judging it, by not talking to yourself through it, but you've also then rehearsed it. You've laid down a blueprint for how you're going to do that coming up the next, either the next point or if it was the last point of the game, it's going to come up again at some point. And I think that mental blueprint's really important because even if, let's say, we go to a, a different mistake, let's say, um, you know, the player is trying to hit an inside-out forehand and it goes wide into the alley. Well, now we're going to visualize everything from the correct trajectory of the ball, maybe the correct contact point, all of that we're going to see now. So the next time you get that ball, you're going to hit it. You have a better chance of hitting it correctly because now you have seen the right contact point. You've seen the correct trajectory. You're going to be more intentional about your target over the net as well as your target within the lines. Yep. Right. So we've enhanced not only our focus of watching the ball better through this visualization, but we've also enhanced our intention of that trajectory of where we want it to go. So I think that this is – now, this does take practice. You know, when I've worked on this with players, it, it is not something that um, you will get in one practice. The self-talk reaction is probably pretty well-rooted in most of us to mistakes. So it's going to take, you know, probably several weeks of trying to track this and really do that visualization and, and, and turn down the volume on the voice. Um, but if you can do this – your game will absolutely get better. You will clean up your game and, and unforced errors. You know, as we talked about with Bill Tim, that's one of the major pieces of becoming a champion player is minimizing unforced errors. And yep. so this is one way to do it right in the match and to take care of that. Um, you've already talked about, Josh, about visualizing the serve and the return. These are things we need to do in practice. For sure. Um, and I think the last aspect of this that I would mention, you know, sort of in between points would be before you get to the server return is visualizing your plan for the point. So it would obviously incorporate that, but it might incorporate a plus one yep. shot, might incorporate a pattern that you've been working on in your off-court visualization. So maybe you see yourself getting into your favorite cross-court pattern or three shots to the backhand, one to the forehand, something like that. 
So as we're, you know, calling a play in our mind, like we're the quarterback of our team, we can also be seeing the play as we begin to get into position and then, then doing what you said. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I like, I like the, uh, the aspect of looking at those patterns, looking at the patterns that you've been working on during the off-court visualization, maybe that you've been working on during practice um, and having, because I think it gives you that, that clear intention, which is a word we seem to be coming back to um, going and going into that point where it's not just like you're thinking about the serve and then what, but you're thinking about maybe the serve and the serve plus one, or you're thinking about, um, okay, if the, if I'm going to serve out wide and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to hit that next ball into the other corner and follow that into the net. And, you know, I, I hope to, you know, volley and it's going to look like this. Um, but having, yeah, ha having that clear, clear picture about what, what that point played out will look like. Um, so no, I, I think that's a great, great perspective there. And then I guess the last bit of visualization that I would throw in here, and maybe this is like level three. And we might, I think we might've talked about this with Steve Walker is the idea of when you're actually playing a point, maybe hitting the serve is like superimposing the path or the trajectory of the ball over sort of like what's happening right now. I think the, the, the easiest way to do this would be say on the serve. And so think of it this way. You, you've tossed the ball. You're looking at the back of the ball. You're about to make contact. And as you're doing that, even maybe that you're in the sort of the trophy position with your racket, you can see from the ball the path that you want it to follow. And so now all you need to do, now that you've envisioned that, is hit the ball along that path. Um, that can also help with getting the ball over the net more. Um, but it also will help your follow through. So if you're a player who maybe pulls off, not necessarily the serve, but ground strokes, because you can do this on ground strokes as well. So like, you know, Josh, if you and I are, let's say, hitting cross court, when you're hitting, when that ball starting to come over to me, I'm actually imagining the trajectory I'm going to hit the ball back on. Yep. And so I set myself up in a position that I could do it. And then, and then, then it just happens that way. But it also helps me follow through instead of sort of pulling up or pulling everything out. Now I, I can see it. Now I'm hitting the ball simply along that line that goes along. Now that definitely takes some practice. Although when I, one way that I've practiced this, Josh, and that people seem to get it quickly is in mini tennis. And, you know, mini tennis, it's so easy, theoretically. Right, that you don't have to think a lot about the tennis aspect, so it gives you sort of the mental space to work on something like this to kind of mm -hmm. layer it in more. And so, a good drill you can do with this is do cross court mini tennis, where a player and and set up a target in each of the cross court boxes, and so you are then trying to see a line from your racket all the way to that target. And again, similar to like what you were saying with Tim Galway and teaching that lesson to a beginner, it's amazing how quickly all of the balls begin to land right around 
that target. And it's a revelation to people. But you know, trying this in mini tennis, again, is probably the best place because you're not so worried about the tennis so much. You've got the mental space to, to focus on it. And then you progress maybe back to 60 feet and then all the way to the baseline. You don't have to do this cross court. You could do it down the middle as well. So like if you're trying to do mini tennis, try have the player try to hit the center line every time. Then they can draw a line from their ball to the center line, something like that. Um, but I find that that's a that can be a really cool way of helping players be more accurate on their serves and on their returns and on their ground strokes. It's you know again it's next level by incorporating that into match play, but um, really helpful, especially when we look at say the difference between and this is something that Andy Roddick said um, during the pandemic. He had this Ask Andy feature on Tennis Channel. And I may have brought this up. You can tell me if I have, Josh. But um, a young player asked him, what's the difference between elite college players and the pros? So that's an interesting question, you know, because you and I, we've worked with maybe not the elite of the elite, but we've worked with some very good college players, maybe who have a little bit of pro potential. And he said there are two things, movement and consistency. And of course, the movement helps with the consistency. But if you can do things to be more consistent you're, and reduce the number of unforced errors that you make, you are automatically going to see an impact on your results. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think the, the point about you know, following the path of the ball is, um, as you mentioned, it's, it's almost like level three. It's it's for somebody who has, you know, has gone through this process before with maybe, you know, some of the more simple things like visualizing yourself hitting that serve the way you want to, or, you know, a certain shot in a new way, the way you want to. Um, but it, it, it certainly makes a, it makes a huge difference and, you know, will lead to more consistency, which, you know, I totally agree with that point by Andy Roddick that consistency is the level in between all players. Um, being able to, you know, hit the ball hard and hit the ball effectively in an aggressive way, con- consistent is is that really separates players and separates the levels of players. Um, I, I would also go back to the point of of the, the practice piece because um, what I find is that at times people might be a little bit skeptical about visualization and you know how effective is oh is this just me dreaming daydreaming me you know saying oh this is you know the way I want it to be how effective is this really. Um, but what, what you'll find is that, and what people do generally find is that, you know, as you, as you go about this process, as you try it, as you start to see the impact, you get better and better at it. And it does take practice. It does take time to improve on this visualization skill. And it is a skill, um, but, but you will see the impact, but it's, it's something that should be practiced on a regular basis. Maybe it's, you know, a few times a week for a player or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, at certain key times and uh, that you, you will see the results and you will see that added consistency in your game because you have, and we're going to go back to that word, that clear intention and that clear image of the way that it is supposed to be done, whether it's a certain stroke or whether it's, you know, a, a longer sequence, like playing out a pattern or an entire point. Um, so no, I, I, I think that's, 
a huge point that you know in terms of the, the levels of players it's it's small differences it's the, the movement the consistency i might add you know placement here and there but uh no I, i think adding things like this to your game and practicing them regularly is really what differentiates players of, of similar caliber in terms of uh, physical skill set yeah i would second everything you just said there josh it's so um you know just even from the research we know that if you do practice it it will help your game i think the stuff that we're talking about in matches also when we're going to practice it you really have to be very serious about practicing it in practice matches yeah um i point. think many times as as players we don't bring the same level of focus to a practice match for some reason that we might to an actual match and so we might only use our in between point routine you know more strictly in a real match versus uh, a practice match but a practice match i think is a really great opportunity to to do all the things because i think um we want to make sure that we're competing or, or practicing the way we want to compete and that way we'll end up competing the way we re- we practice that yep. sort of serious attitude um and so that goes with all of the different levels that we've talked about and this i think you know we've presented today a nice holistic way of doing this right we started off with the off court pieces scripting things having a plan the different aspects of pet lap we then moved into how we can use it from a learning perspective so even coaches today i think you know can go through that three step process and then we took it took it to the court and how how it can help actually help us compete better by quieting the mind helping our intention build confidence mental rehearsal etc so i think um that that's been it's been a really nice conversation i think the way we kind of tied all that together right so that's our show for today we want to thank you for listening if you have any comments or questions with respect to visualization and imagery please email email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com as well as any other feedback that you may have our guests that we should be looking to invite on or subjects that you'd like to hear about or just questions in general um also for feedback you can use the twitter hashtag tennis iq uh, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. You can also follow us on YouTube um, as well as Instagram so you can see notifications of our latest episodes. So thanks again and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.